know what that means? Everything. Anglo-thieves. Gettle's gone. Oh my god, you people have just failed me. Failed me utterly. Congratulations, Scotland. We have just gone full I hear an awful lot of judgment in your voice. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 54 of Anglophies, where we will be angsting about how daylight saving needs to be cancelled forever and ever, I mean. That too. Probably solving a murder and going to a fancy party because that is what reliving your teenagehood is supposed to be like, according to the CW, apparently. That's the image of American teenagerhood that they present. Hi, I'm Raiden. I'm Alina. And I'm Kaylee. <laughs> You're not my real dad. <laughs> if, if, if you're in a CW show Probably somebody is not somebody's real dad Definitely. Or real mom Or real mom But or... it's probably somebody's real sister or brother Yes We're very into the Lannister aesthetic recently Right, right. And Dan Humphrey is Gossip Girl For some reason <laughs> Happy Honestly. happy typing <laughs> Still cannot explain that. Still nope. cannot explain that. And that's the look of a man who never will explain it. No. <laughs> so this episode is brought to you by Riverdale. I mean, not literally, because they're not actually paying us money for this free advertising. Um, but, but they by should. Riverdale, they should. Um, which is the dark and gritty CW... Uh, version of the Archie universe. Archie of Ver- Betty and Veronica and Jughead and Reggie Kevin. and Kevin. And, and Oh, and Josie and the Pussycats. And Josie and the Pussycats also includes the universe of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, by the way. They've mentioned that they might actually have Sabrina on the show, I think. Oh, that could be fun. I mean, it'll definitely be ridiculous, but... Mm. But that's okay. Ridiculous is kind of what the show does. Mm-hmm. And when they first announced the show, a lot of people were like, I don't, do not know if what. I am really enjoying it. It is scratching my Gossip Girl itch. It's, I don't think it's an objectively good show. But that's okay. That's not what I watch CW shows for. <laughs> and Alina's been watching it, and Kaylee has sort of been bemusedly watching us watch it talk about it <laughs> this is this is the new gilmore girls for me and i just listen to you two talk about it and just go hmm, okay it doesn't say it doesn't sound as veritably psychotic as as gilmore girls does this does no. start to me it sounds a little bit like as someone who has never read archie comics or anything like that it just wasn't a big deal in the uk but to hear it be described to me is like every time you see a parody on the onion of them revamping an old idea and making it young and sexy pretty much mm. yeah you know, nice. like, what if werewolves, but sexy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, what and if this Archie, is, see, what but... if nerds, but sexy? Which, you know, nerds have always been hot, so... Mm. Sure, why not? <laughs> yeah, so Riverdale premiered 
last month, I think. That sounds right. Yeah. And happily, luckily for us, it's it's going on a hiatus for a couple of weeks. So you have a chance to catch up um, before figure out what we're talking about. You, the general, I mean, I know Kaylee's not going to do it, and that's okay. She's she's getting more out of it just watching us watch it. No, that that is more entertaining to me. This does seem to wind you up a lot less than Gilmore Girls did. <laughs> yes. Well, it's like you said, l- less psychotic. But I do life tweet it almost every week. It's true. I watch it. It's true. And sometimes I just sort of blurt things out. like. And I mean, it winds me up less now that Miss Grundy's gone and we'll get to that storyline. We'll, we'll get to that. That was yeah. that was dumb. <laughs> <laughs> that was real dumb. But it also winds us up less because like m- most of these people are not really being presented as good heroic people. This is typical CW. Everybody kind of has a secret. Everybody is fucked up in their own way. As opposed to Gilmore Girls, which we're pretty sure you were supposed to think that the girls were actually the heroes and were good people and all that mm. and not selfish, horrible, self-centered narcissists. And we might be getting more Gilmore Girls. Netflix is talking about that, which, like, no, can we, no. can we, can we not, please? Nothing else because it will make the Gilmore guys even more insufferable, and they're real insufferable. They're real insufferable. Um, it does seem like a really great idea, though, just to start a podcast about a really popular show that's coming back, and you talk about every episode, and you just happen to be invited to be on the show. To be fair, it wasn't coming back when they started the podcast. So if we start our Hannibal podcast now. Yeah, <laughs> and do episode by episode to the point where it gets wildly popular and the show does come back you're yeah. saying that we get to meet Mass Mickelson, right? Yes, that is what I'm saying yes. that is Something that something works. profit Something something profit Well, I'm there Alright, <laughs> we'll do it We'll make sure that each episode is at least three times as long as the specific episode of Hannibal That. Hmm. To be fair it would take that long to untangle all the references and illusions. Yes, that's true. That makes more sense than a five-hour episode talking about a 45-minute long... Well, no, it was 90 minutes. There. Hmm. Can I get, right. like, a Twitter conversation between you two just talking about this podcast? Because, once again, this sounds way more interesting than listening to it. It's definitely <laughs> way more interesting than listening to it, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so back to Riverdale. Actual Riverdale. So the Archie comics, for those who did not have, just those were the ones that were available at the library because all of the superhero comic books were either checked out or destroyed, were, are, I believe they're still in print. They are. Um, They're apparently very good, this current iteration. Hmm. What I hear. Yeah. Fiona, Fiona Staples of Saga did the art for the Archie reboot, new new Archie. Nar- oh yeah, and yeah. Saga is obviously amazing. So yeah, yeah. So the the Archie comics are a very 
pleasant version of suburban America where you have Archie Andrews, who is an all-American dude with red hair and a little crooked bow tie, and his biggest problems in life are, I like these two girls, this blonde and this brunette. There's Betty and Veronica, and however will I choose? And there's his friend Jughead. What's his real name? Forsyth. Forsyth. But his name is Jughead. Why um, is his head shaped like a jug? No, he wears a hat. He wears a hat. He wears a like a crooked crown. His nickname is Jughead. It's it's not. Okay, America. Okay. Not literal. When did they start? Sixty? Are they pre sixty? In the sixties, in the heyday of of Apple No, Pie. apparently the character of Archie first appeared in Pep Comics number twenty-two, cover dated December nineteen forty-one. All right, so, you know, apple pie America. Yeah. <laughs> when white America was great. So it's very Leave it to Beaver, 1950s kind of. Yep. Oh, yeah. Greatest generation oh, crap. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. I remember one comic where Archie's mom was commended by one of her neighbors for why does Archie always have his shirt tucked in so neatly? And she's like, because I sewed lace around the hem of all of his shirts. So of course he tucks it in neatly. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why I laughed at that. It's so stupid. It's so stupid, but you know, (laughs) through the specific weird memories that show up. I first, uh, encountered Archie when I moved to Canada in the late 90s. At the t- I don't believe they were translated into Russian at the time. I don't know if they are now. But they would sell these digests <laughs> at, the, at the checkout counters of like drug marts right, and grocery stores. So every mm-hmm. time I'd go and buy something, I'd grab one of the digests yeah. and, and read it that way. And I had a ton of them. And it's, it's funny because some of the digests would include stories that were from like the 50s and 60s. So you could tell how the art changed and even like kind of the jokes and everything else in the comics. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, very wholesome plight. And then CB was like, we're going to do a dark and gritty reboot of Archie. And a lot of people were like, I don't know if I want that. And I was like, hmm, I'm pretty sure I do want that. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know that I did, but I'm pretty sure that I do. Well, isn't I, the current iteration of the comics a bit more, if not necessarily like adult and sexed up, but it is certainly more in tune with actual teenagers now, or at least you know more artistically cohesive version of what actual <laughs> teenagers are like. I, I haven't seen any of it, so I haven't looked at I haven't looked at an actual Archie comic for oh at least since I was working at Borders because we sold them. So, many years. Many, many years. But it it starts with the the series starts with the murder of Jason Blossom and he showed up dead and everyone is like coming back to school and then this mysterious brunette from New York comes into town with her mom and it's, that's Veronica. Yeah, it, it's funny because Veronica's dad was definitely more the parent you see in the comics, but we haven't seen her dad yet because he's in jail for embezzlement. He's in prison. He's in prison. I, what's the difference? 
You're in jail when you're waiting for trial. Okay, so he's in prison for embezzlement. He's in prison, yeah. It's so stupid that you have multiple words. They're um, very specific things. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I've overset my bounds. Legal is your territory. I apologize. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, now you've learned a thing about the American justice system. And it's one of these things that TV does a terrible job of teaching because people don't understand the difference. I do know the British of spelling of jail. Does that score? Gale. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Hiram Lodge is not there. Instead, we have Hermione Lodge. Yep. They, they set it up essentially as... Hermione is from Riverdale. She moved to, I don't know whether Hiram, I don't think they actually implied whether Hiram is or not. I, I think they're leaving it open and for when they decide, but but essentially they lived in New York. Essentially they lived the Gossip Girl life. So Veronica's yep. pre-Riverdale life was Gossip Girl. And then Hiram was arrested and convicted. So Hermione takes Veronica and moves back to her hometown. Yep. And they're very worried about money and having enough to live the lifestyle with to which they have become accustomed. So I was almost going to like segress into let's talk about the, like the murder and what makes it slightly twin peaks is that murder. But actually I kind of want to talk about the, um, I guess, geography of Riverdale because Mm -hmm. the introduction of the lodges is is really one of the things that feels idiosyncratic to me. And here's the problem. So we see, the lodges so Veronica and her mother roll into town and they live in this very high-priced condo apartment complex mm-hmm. which on a street that looks kind of downtown it doesn't fit into anywhere in Riverdale because Riverdale so far has been shown to be a fairly small town and surrounded by woods and rivers and in my experience with American towns of that of like of that size, it's supposed to be very slow because they 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 keep talking. They have a sheriff, and the rich Blossom family like rules the town because they're rich, right? But and yet we do have like what a downtown core and a high rise like apartments. I can't figure out how big or small and how urban or not <laughs> Riverdale is supposed to be. I mean, it's a it looks like a decent sized high school. But it kind of in more comic book fashion, they do things like like this last episode. The sheriff mentions. Riverdale Juvenile, Juvie, essentially Riverdale Juvenile Detention. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, a town probably wouldn't, a small town wouldn't have its own Juvie. Are you saying Riverdale is a county as well? You know, it's, I, I it's, think that, that they're just sort of going with, with the, with comic book geography of, we'll yeah. just throw in things when we need them. Yeah, essentially the town is as big or as small as it has to be for any particular scene, which is a slightly kind of, Night Vale-ish kind of thing, you know, the town, which mm. kind of feeds into that Twin Peaks atmosphere that they almost, instead of, you know, who killed Laura Palmer, we have who killed Jason Blossom. Right. It um, does seem to be getting compared a lot to Twin Peaks, which I find uh, suspect. <laughs> it doesn't seem to be as off the wall or as deliberately no, dreamlike as, as Twin Peaks is. No, I mean, it's Peaks, not. It's a weird show, guys. Look, there, no. there is no woman walking around cradling a log which is basically the only thing i know about twin peaks (laughs) but sort of in terms of the atmosphere and the suspect geography like why why do the blossoms 
have this giant house? Like, where is their money coming from? Oh my god, the Blossom House is straight out of Crimson Peak. It it is, it is, and I I mean I imagine the reason the Blossoms live there is because they like helped found the town or whatever, and if they move, they have their place, own graveyard. <laughs> <laughs> and if they move to some place like New York City, people will be like, "You're not. You are a fish in a much larger pond, as opposed to this tiny pond where where they can flex their muscles and do whatever." I mean, presumably uh, they still own the business. Hmm. There's now a feud. There's so many feuds now. So there's now a feud between the Blossoms and the Coopers, Betty's family. Because we need feuds. It's a show like this, the f- we have to have family feuds. This feud yeah. is about how great-grandpa Blossom cheated great-grandpa Cooper out of his half of the business that made the Blossoms rich and also p- possibly murdered him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're start- they just started a Blossom Lodge feud at the end of the last episode. Uh, there's there's also the, uh, the Joneses and the Andrewses. So Jack... <laughs> Jughead's dad was fired by Archie's dad. But they also apparently started the business together. So apparently if you start a business together in this town, it will end in a feud. Right. So, you know, that's not great for the local economy. I'm just saying. (laughs) I'm just saying. So do we want to talk the usual, like, when you take a comic that started in the 40s, and then the comic went, is still ongoing, so through the like 80s and 90s it did attempt to diversify its cast and now it went to the cw which did its own cw filter of diversity where a lot of the background characters are either not white or not straight but kind of your core group mostly still is (laughs) only i have a a question about this sorry go ahead kaylee um i have a question regarding the cw diversifying of its cast is there anyone on the show that isn't just a complete stunner in the looks department oh of course not well, of course there's okay. the principal, like, like sorry to the actor, plays Weather, Weatherby, but, by the way, the principal was such a big, uh, Principal Weatherby, I think, or Weatherby, yeah. I don't know if there's an S in his last name, but he was such a big part of the comics, and he's kind, he's barely had any lines in the mm. show so far. That was a little, well, I guess that's part of the sacrifice for their, I mean, Sheriff Keller is a bigger well, because there's a murder, I guess he's kind of a bigger part of the show. And but no, yes, they they are they are all very beautiful people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's kind of why we watch a CW teen show, right? Yeah. Veronica is now Latina. Yes. As is her mom, and it's not just they cast the actors, but then never say it because the mom does use you know Spanish endearments when talking to her. Mm-hmm. So they've decided it's not going to be one of those, well, we cast them, but we're still going to pretend. No, they're, they're actually... So there's that. There's that. Archie is played by K.J. Appa, who is half um, Samoan. Samoan. Um, however, his father is played by Luke Perry, and his mother... It's a little bit of a spoiler, because we have not seen her on the show, but the casting is well known. It's played by Molly Ringwald. So... I met her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is. It is. Some of the casting here is super, super meta. So, while he is a, a Samoan actor, he is clearly Playing supposed to be dude. white on the show. And the tie job in his eyebrows is very distracting for me. 
Look, at least they dyed their eyebrows, so we don't get the Game of Thrones blonde hair, black eyebrows thing. Right. And then, like, Josie and the Pussycats are all black women. Instead of... They're they're a trio of... A a band, right, of teenage girls who are a trio, and in the comics, one of them was black, but here, all three of them are, and Josie's mom is now the mayor of town. Yep. And they actually did address, like, the racial issue, because there was an episode... So in this... In this iteration, Archie... Well, I guess he, he was kind of into music in a lot in the comics, too. So in this iteration, he's interested in music. And at one point, he sits in on a Josie and the Pussycat session. And Josie does kind of take him to task, like, well, you want to write for us, but how would, do you think you can understand what our point of view of the world looks like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I feel like they're sort of sidling up to the race issues and trying to figure out how to address them. That's kind of true of how they approach a lot. They sidle up to a lot of issues and, and then kind of shy away from some of them. Cause I guess this is where we can talk about Ms. Grundy. Yeah. I can do a spiel. I have a spiel ready. Go. Miss <laughs> so, Grundy to the kind of, in that you killed my childhood way was in the comics. She's an, older you know she's gray-haired so at least i mean comic book age i don't know 60 she's she's with their teacher Mm -hmm. in the show she's in her 20s and in the very first episode we find out that she's in a sexual relationship with archie um and and, and that 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 was a little bit of a you killed my childhood moment Just, just just a little bit yeah and here's where the show i still don't know whether i i both commend them and not for some bits of it because so what you have is an adult woman purposefully preying on a teenage boy sexually. And sometimes they do show that she's a predator. You know, there's there's scenes where she's very clearly manipulating him emotionally in a way that he doesn't see, but I think it's clear to the audience. So it's tied into the Jason uh, Bloss, who killed Jason Blossom mystery. You know, they were near the crime scene at the time. They heard a gunshot. So Archie wants to go to the police and tell, and of course she doesn't. But she'll say things like, we could go to jail. Uh, no, you, no, you. sexual predator, could go to jail. You are going to jail. <laughs> and, uh, and then she does the vulnerable, oh, you know, I am, in your, I am in your hands. My life is in your hands. I'm dependent on you. And of course Archie's going to feel protective. And so she's very clearly manipulating him. Mm-hmm. And, and she, further on, again, when she needs to kind of get him back on her side, when, when uh, Betty, when, they, when his friends find out about the relationship, they're like, Archie, you can't trust her. Like, can't you see how wrong this is? So Betty finds out that she actually, Ms. Grundy is actually a fake name. There's a kind of comic book Easter egg there where she may have stolen the identity of the real elderly Ms. Grundy. And Archie goes to her and once again, she does the, well, I'm a victim of abuse, you know, I'm a victim of abusive ex-husband. I'm hiding. And once again, I'm, you know, my life is in your hands. But when it comes to a head in the episode where the adults find out, his father is concerned but not that concerned. And uh, Alice Cooper, who's probably a character we should talk about separately, is only and who hates Archie, is only here to somehow cause trouble for Archie. She doesn't seem at all concerned that a grown woman is preying on a, on a teen boy. No, of course not. She doesn't have sons. All right. And then essentially she's quote, kind of run out of town, but doesn't actually face any consequences of this crime she's committed. And Archie, you know, kind of breaks down crying with his dad, but not... But and he gives him a hug, and then it's but by the next week it's all kind of brushed aside. The last we see of her is her 
uh, looking at a pair of, you know, uh, handsome teen boys. I think in a way that was the show's way of saying, no, 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 everything she said was bullshit. She really is a predator. I'm like, but you didn't commit to it. I feel like the show went just far enough and then decided they didn't want to offend anybody who doesn't have a problem with grown women preying on teenage boys. That's the people you don't want to push away because, like, if you weren't willing to go all the way with what she did is wrong, it's assault, it's sexual assault, and she needs to face consequences, then why did you do it? Mm. Not to mention that it locked Archie, who is... In the comics, Archie's definitely the protagonist. If I had to pick a show protagonist, for now, I'd say it's Betty. Yeah. If, if there's anyone. But Archie has been so separated for half of the... Well, like a third of the season, I guess. it's a 13, It'll be a 13-episode season in the end. We've had seven so far. We're exactly at a halfway point. And like five of them were taken up by this... Had this Miss Grundy storyline. So for a third of the season, he's off in his own bubble. Which I guess is kind of accurate to that... You know... Er, being victimized like this separates you from your friends and family. And it kind of does in the show, because obviously he has the secret, he can't tell anybody. He's spending time with her, but it's illicit. So, But the show just didn't fully commit to how wrong it was and, and what, a, what a violation it was. Uh, mm-hmm. That's why I can't fully get behind of, you know, I don't know that they should have even done it. Yeah, I agree. That was... A ridiculous storyline that I suspect they're not going to come back to. Yeah, they tried to tie it in a little more to the Jason Blossom murder by saying that she tutored Jason um, the the year before. But I think, I, I haven't looked too much into critical responses, but I don't think it's been that into it. So I think that's kind of just done for good. Yeah, which, you know what? Fine with that. Yeah, perfectly fine with that. Can we talk about Betty a little bit? Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. you said, Betty, possibly the protagonist. You're right. And, I mean, this, this first, her mother is played by Madchen Amak. Did I say that right? Probably not. I think it's Maiten in, in German, but I don't know how she would pronounce it being, yeah. you know, non-German. Again, Twin Peaks, possibly a reason. <laughs> um, who played Rory's father's girlfriend on Gilmore Girls and then vanished. And she is very good at playing the type A over-controlling mother type. Betty is... And again, remember the Harvard... The visit that Rory and Lorelai had with the Harvard alum? Mm Mm-hmm. And they had that very awkward lunch with the siblings who played tennis. Betty is like the neurotic version of the daughter with her perfect ponytail. And like you take all of that pressure and it's it's really getting to her. And I do really appreciate that the show sort of started off with, well, there's sort of this love triangle and then... Betty and Veronica are like, no, we're best friends now. Me and V forever. Archie, whatever. I'd like to also very quickly point out that in those early episodes, there was a lot more sexual tension between Betty and Veronica. They, they, I almost thought they would go into the, the fact that Veronica might actually have a crush on Betty. Yeah. The way she acted. And I'm kind of disappointed that they don't seem to be going that way at all anymore. Yeah. That would have been awesome. Yeah. 
Because it's clear from there, there are certain readings of the comics where you're like, mm, no, <laughs> no, they are clearly, they're clearly banging off panel. <laughs> but so Betty Cooper is her adjective that she feels she has to live up to is perfect. So she is very sweet, very kind, and does what she's told, and. Gets the straightest of A's, and all of this pressure is really getting to her. There's a scene where you see that she is digging her fingernails into the palm of her hand so hard that she's bleeding, mm-hmm. which broke my heart. And I think that Lily Reinhardt has been doing an excellent job playing all of these layers. I actually think that she and Jughead work together. <laughs> I do too. So, and, and by which we mean in the most recent plot development has her and Jughead kind of start a romantic relationship. But it's built on something, and that being that they're both investigating, basically, as teenage school newspaper journalists, the Jason Blossom murder, to which Betty has a personal connection. Mm-hmm. But uh, her sister dated Jason before he disappeared. Yes. And then now the sister has disappeared too. Uh, we, we know at this point in the show where and what happened, but when we begin the show, all we know is that um, the Cooper parents have sent Polly, the older sister, away somewhere and wouldn't tell Betty where and, and wouldn't let her visit. Right. And wouldn't really tell her why. And they kept coming up with stories. Yeah, see, Betty is this kind of character that I feel could be really... A, it's really easy to write her badly, and it can be kind of a thankless job to play her, because if you write that character badly, she can come off as fairly bland. Mm -hmm. If you don't give her the layers of how hard it is to live up to the quote-unquote perfect girl next door, you know, American apple pie girl, if you don't give her depth, she can fall really flat. But I think the writing has, you know, really... In general, the show is kind of more interesting in, in doing the, well, what's under the surface... It's kind of the premise of it. Well, what if it's Archie, but not everything's perfect? Mm-hmm. So I think they did it well with Betty. And yeah, so the actress is given a more media role and she's really went into it. So, And she has to because she does end up being kind of the center of the show because she is so personally connected to the, the main mystery. Yeah. As to the triangle, as you heard, so as we just mentioned, that they kind of went with her and Jughead. This is also the CW formula of... Through the run of the show, every single iteration of we're, Yeah, we're going to swap around and see what works. And like we mentioned, they also tried the, the, the comic book triangle when they first started. But yeah, Archie was off having sex with a teacher. Yeah. You know, Veronica's a new girl in town, so they barely know each other. And so they start with Betty having a crush on Archie and then being turned down. Being best friends, you know, and neighbors. And she has a crush on him and she confesses it. And he turns her down in actually a very sweet way. Yeah, a very gentle, I don't want to cause you pain. I don't want to make things weird. Um, I mean, the opening scene of the show is Archie is getting undressed in his room across the street. And Betty is in her room with Kevin. Is it Kevin? Yeah, it's Kevin. And she's like, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna ask him out. I'm going to tell him that I'm in love with him. And he's like, you you have to. And then looks out the window and is like, whoa, Archie got hot. <laughs> <laughs> you have to climb that tree. The thing with Kevin. So Kevin is also from the comics. He's one of the, com- my understanding is one of the comics kind of 
more recent attempts at diversity, he's the comics token gay. I don't know how token he is in the comics, especially the new iteration. Or, mm. but he was I introduced. I think it's fair to say when he was originally introduced, he was introduced as basically the token gay character. The Riverdale show does have him. He's the son of the sheriff, which gives him the kind of side connection to the main murder mystery. Uh, he's close friends with Betty and with Archie. But I've been having a problem recently with the way they're developing his friendship with Veronica. And I both have a problem with it and can see a defense of it. So I'm going to give like both sides to the listener kind of thing here. The problem is Veronica keeps on saying things like in this week's episode, oh, you're my best gay. There's mm-hmm. a very outdated early 2000s sassy gay best friend model here that, that as I said, is outdated by, by this point and just not... But Kevin goes along with it. Like, he's supposed to be, oh, you know, I would be honored to be. My other kind of side defense of it is that, you know, Veronica is this big city New York girl. So it's very obvious that they showed Kevin as somebody who is dazzled by the glamour of her past life. So it's possible that he is so dazzled that he kind of doesn't see the toxicity mm-hmm. of of this. And, and that's, that Veronica genuinely doesn't see see the bigotry and Kevin generally doesn't see how toxic it is that doesn't mean the show doesn't see those things but uh, considering how they handle the Miss Grundy storyline I don't entirely trust them to see it yeah so when Veronica does this I need to go clubbing with my best gay my reaction is Kevin you have a very hot secret boyfriend go make out with him and tell her to fuck off Mm -hmm. he has a hot secret boyfriend that was really cute so he's there was a scene where his dad the, the sheriff tells him like look can't you find a nice boy to go out with, and Kevin's like, I'm my school, I'm the nice gay boy in the school, you know, kind of like we're a small community, there aren't a lot of out <laughs> gay boys around me. But then he goes to a movie theater and finds this hot guy, and they make out, and then turns out the guy's part of a biker gang. And Kevin's the son of the sheriff, so they have this Romeo and Juliet. They've only had one scene together. I really wish the show would kind of go back to that, yeah, go back to that because he was hot. <laughs> Kevin deserves some happiness after what they're putting him through with Veronica. I'm just saying. Yeah, so I'm enjoying the show. I'm I'm not gonna pretend that that it's great art, but that's not why you watch a CW show. Well, I do want to before we kind of move on from generally, we haven't yet given uh, some time to Jughead, but I think we should. Yeah, yeah. So the show is open and closed by narration from Jughead, who is writing a, a nonfiction novel, all in cold blood. About the mur- <laughs> I know, I know. The it's Truman so- Capote of Archie. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> about the murder and the investigation of the murder of Jason Blossom. And it's just so, like, noir-y. You know, what makes a home a home? <laughs> Jackhead can be kind of ridiculous. There was this... When he started investigating in earnest and he wanted to uh, interrogate one of uh, Dilton Doyle's uh, scouts, it was it Pops. So the scout's sitting there with a, with an ice cream sundae. Pops is the diner that everyone hangs out in. It's kind of the iconic comic book diner. So Jacket comes in and the camera pans to the scout, then back, then to the other side of the booth where Jacket's now sitting, except he's like with his perching with his feet up on the seat because so he can menace this boy and I'm like Jaggy, Jaggy, please sit like a person <laughs> you're so ridiculous you're so you're such a 16 year old right now what are you doing is he played by Zach or Cody uh, yeah uh, so he, Cody. which Kaylee means he's 
one, he's one of the twins from The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. But he's brunette here. I, are they naturally blonde? I think they were blonde in The Sweet Life. I believe uh, he's played by Cole Sprouse. I don't know what the other Sprouse is doing. Dylan is the other Sprouse. And, and, and this, the sad thing is, is they don't even have their own separate Wikipedia page. It's Dylan and Cole Sprouse. <laughs> oh, no. In fairness, I'm pretty sure the Olsen twins still have a joint Wikipedia page, and they're now billionaires, so... Yeah. yeah, but they're also of the of, of the what's like this this the recluse billionaire type that nobody knows anything about. Mm-hmm. The best kind. Anyway, he's Cody. We find out that the way the show deconstructed the the Norman Rockwell fifties dynamic with Jughead is that uh, his father is a drunk, and this this episode seven is where it all kind of comes to a head. The family's kind of broken up and dysfunctional. Jughead really doesn't live at home and also i don't have personal experience you know my, uh, of being a child of an alcoholic or a person with substance abuse but from what i could see i think the episode handled it fairly well like it has how much he's trying to put on a face how embarrassing it can be in front of your friends and isolating how you keep on believing like the promises your parent gives you that it's going to get better but you're you kind of know that it's not going to how much you have to take care of yourself and of them yeah it was really quite heartbreaking watching him with his dad, who's played by Skeet Ulrich. Mm-hmm. Oh, I wonder what happened to him. A lot of the, uh, the the parent generation are played by known actors, so it's... Luke Perry from, from 90210. And Simpsons, Luke Perry is Krusty the Clown's half-brother. Oh. oh. <laughs> okay. Oh, for those who were wondering, Dylan Sprouse now runs his own mead brewery. I want some. I need to try it for science. I mean, if you're a former child star turned vaguely hipsterish millionaire, why not run your own mead brewery in Williamsburg? Yeah. Of course it's in Williamsburg. Of course it's in Williamsburg. <laughs> it looks nice. I'm not going to lie. I'd drink it, but you know. I, I did see someone, uh, I, I might have been AV Comments point out that in the comics, Jughead, Jughead has an identical cousin, so they could get Dylan Sprouse on the show. Probably. Probably. He could just use that as an opportunity to promote his mead. Like, just carry it around label facing the camera. <laughs> After a long day investigating murder, why don't you drink mead? I really want we some now. really talked about Cheryl either, because Cheryl Blossom, she does have her own comic book line, right? Does she? At least I think I've, well, maybe not. I think she has her own digests sometimes, but collected of the storylines. She appears in the Archie comics sometimes as the other girl who for some reason also wants Archie's D. Everybody wants a piece mm. of Archie in the comics. It's just kind of what the comics are about. So while we have the, the brunette and the blonde in Veronica and Betty, the redhead Cheryl will show up from time to time and be like, can I get some of Archie? In here, she's kind of the queen bee of the school. And I think she's kind of an amalgam of Veronica and Betty in that she's a rich girl like Veronica, but she also has a very controlling mother who is always critical of her. Mm-hmm. Except instead of trying for perfection like Betty has, she went in the direction of, well, I'll just be like the spoiled rich girl that that everybody thinks I should like thinks I am, and also has some sort of creepy relationship with her brother. Very creepy. Like I said, there's a bit of a Lannister aesthetic. They even call her the Red Widow 
in the first episode, Kevin calls her the Red Widow. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty funny. Pretty accurate. Yes, and she shows up to her brother's funeral wearing all white. Mm. I mean, there are a couple of layers to that outfit, but she's wearing all white. <laughs> and Kevin's like, yes, this is the best thing that's happened to Riverdale, like, ever. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, like, if you like campy, pulpy teen dramas where everybody's pretty and, you know, the, the town's very atmospheric... This is your show. If if you miss Gossip Girl, this is your show. If you don't miss Gossip Girl, then this is, might not be your show. <laughs> so I've been trying to make a chronology of the the teen shows of, of I guess, of American teen shows. Mm-hmm. And I keep on going back. Like, I thought, well, obviously Gossip Girl wasn't the first. Like, is this... Before that, there was Dawson's Creek, but I think 90210 was before that. Yeah, 90210 was before that. There was a teen soap opera called Swan's Crossing back in, I want to say, the early 90s, which is one of Sarah Michelle Gellar's early efforts. Well, Buffy is now 20 years old, so... Buffy is now 20 years old. Oh, my God. Yeah, that, that was in 1992. I wonder if for Beverly Hills 90210, which I guess we have to call it that because 90210 on its own is the reboot. Or not, yeah. I don't know what you want to call it. I, I so, think that that Beverly Hills 90210 was definitely a, a teen drama. Um, Melrose Place was sort of the adult version of that. But would you, would you call it the first kind of example of this genre? Or just the first modern one. It started and it, it, it premiered in 1990. Because I can't, I mean, I can't think of anything, but also I'm, I'm not the person who'd know. Right. But it like, this, this genre is kind of a new thing, right? Like the, or a modern thing, I guess you could say. When yeah. You the, the, the fascinating life of teenagers. <laughs> I think so. I can't, I mean, look, in the 80s, I was, you know. By 1989, I was 11, so I really wasn't paying too much attention to whatever the teenagers were watching in the 80s. Mm-hmm. But I think 90210 would definitely be one of the the early adopters of this particular genre as as we know it today. So, yeah, so we have Beverly Hills 90210, Dawson's Creek premiered on 98, so eight mm-hmm. years later. I'm, I'm sure there might have been someone between then that maybe just hadn't... But th- we, if we're talking about the ones that really stick in like the people's consciousness, so they're like the heartbeats of the genre. Well, you also have My So-Called Life, which only lasted one season, but is right. you know, influential on an immeasurable scale. Mm-hmm. Because it's Fair. got baby Claire Danes and baby Jared Leto in it. Ah, remember when we liked Jared Leto? <laughs> When <laughs> he seemed relatively harmless. Mm. I mean, Saved by the Bell is a weird sit. Like the no, later, the, that was a sitcom. sitcom. That's not a. That's not a teen drama. Um, no, but it no. it fits the same soapy mold. For I think what the very particular expectations of what we call a quote unquote teen drama or teen comedy are very Americanized, very soapy, and I, at least of the nineties, they do I the issue of the week call... kind of thing. I wouldn't call um, Saved by the Bell soapy. It had the hallmarks of the 
1980s very special occasional very special episode she's so um, excited i'm so excited <laughs> I, get hooked I'm so on caffeine pills. i can't imagine why her acting career didn't take off after showgirls <laughs> i know right but let me tell you it wouldn't you say that 90210 to me is very much actually sorry not about 90210 um saved by the bell as a sitcom, it kind of is a fairly accurate adaptation of the Archie comics, the original kind of digesty Archie comics. They take place in school a lot, filled with gags and jokes, right? Kind of the comic book is. Yeah. That core group of kids. Yeah. They're very much like what those comics used to be. Hmm. This is a really American thing, because we've had... I, mean, I think there's always been generations of the, you know, the sort of teen stories and, oh, no, we've been left down by the system. The adults don't understand us. That's been a thing, I would say, probably since about the 50s, at least in the iteration of what we would now call a teenager. Yeah. In the UK, we didn't tend to have necessarily teen-focused dramas, but it was very much pre-teen onwards. So about 9, 10 to about 15, 16 was our kind of main age group for that sort of thing. The biggest one we had was there was a show called Grange Hill, which was on TV for, see if I can remember this now. It was about 30 years it was on TV in the UK. Not constantly running, but different iterations of it. And it was just a school drama that as it, your time wore on and as we got more sort of adult or more mature with kids' entertainment, it did get more teen and focused and, you know, sex and drugs. Actually, drugs was always a big thing in it. Which was really funny because most of the cast were on drugs at the time. Mm. <laughs> and they did the Nancy Reagan Just Say No campaign and everything. And they were all off their tits when they went to it. <laughs> <laughs> Say no to Nancy Reagan, kids. Mm. Now, now that's ironic, Alanis. <laughs> 10,000 spoons when all you need is a coconut one. Mm. So yeah, we kind of had... I, I don't know if we necessarily had the, that kind of teen mould... All of our stuff was imported from America on that front. It became a major teen thing for us actually around the time that I was a teenager when Skins came out, Mm -hmm. which I was never really into, but it was a huge deal. And when I started in my final year of uni, not final uni, my final year of high school, and it was a huge deal because it was... But at least as we liked to think it was what we were like, you know, oh my god, it me, we are so much cool as, as those people, you know? No. Mm-hmm. But it was really very brutally honest with a lot of subjects, particularly stuff like uh, eating disorders, mental illness, um, sexuality in particular was a big one. And it was really very good at that, even for someone who wasn't a massive fan of it, I could really appreciate what it was doing. Mm-hmm. But that one is mostly fun to watch now. There were free, There were six seasons of it. It was divided into three generations of this, um, the the senior year in their high school. It's set in Bristol. And it's really just fun to watch all of these really now wildly famous people who are on this show. So the star of the first season of Skins was Nicholas Holt, who's now... An X-Men. And and, and he's an X-Men. Daniel Kaluuya, who has just made it huge in Get Out, Mm -hmm. was not only a star of the show, he was a writer. Oh, nice. He was like 17 or 18. There was some bloke called Dev Patel on it. <laughs> I heard of him. I've heard of him. I've heard of He's him. done quite well for himself. Kai's mm. Lario's on it. What's his name? Jack O'Connell, who's in the this, this second generation. He's now become a very prominent actor. So you can kind of watch it all through it and just go, oh, wow. Man, you guys are good. 
So it's it's interesting in that aspect. It was never entirely for me. I always thought I was a little too dorky for these people. <laughs> like there was never any pre you know like preconceptions that I was on these people's level. I would never I was never having to worry about sex or drugs or any of that in high school. <laughs> so you know there was nothing really there for me. But the, the the sort of posturing a lot of them did reminded me so much of so many people I went to high school with, mm-hmm. which is always really fun. Uh, I, I I know the Americans remade it for one season and it didn't take off. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. Uh, but that show is really I um, influential for a lot of our generation now. I think it was certainly in the UK, the way that it handled um, that huge huge intersection of topics mm-hmm. has you know was so well received here and by the people who actually watched it. You know who it was aimed for were really into it. I don't know if we've necessarily had anything that's kind of filled that gap. We have similar stuff in style and tone, but it's not necessarily aimed at teenagers. It may feature teenagers or people who are about 19, 20, but it's not necessarily for them. The Inbetweeners is a good example of that, which is a quote-unquote comedy about four dorky teenage boys in high school who basically are obsessed with getting laid, and they're really bad at it. I find the show as funny as an aneurysm, but my parents (laughs) find it really funny. But that is a show that I think was popular with teens, but it was clearly aiming for an older audience. Mm-hmm. Or even something like Misfits, I think, fits in that mold. Which so, is much more interesting than... <clears throat> so what is... I have seen, of course, Jeff Sets on Tumblr of, of Misfits, but what's it about? Well, Misfits is about a group of young offenders who are doing community service, which is why they're all wearing the the orange jumpsuits and they're basically st- caught in a, a thunder and lightning storm that ends up giving them supernatural powers. Oh, okay. And just how they have to navigate that very strange um, situation and the, pow- the particular powers that they all have as well. So um, some of the people are in the show are there's Ivan Rayon, who is um, the Ramsay Bolton from Game of Thrones is in the show. Mm-hmm. Robert Sheehan, who was, who tried to get big in America and didn't. <laughs> He's also in the show. Ruth Nega turned up for a brief while on the show. She wasn't one of the misfits, but this was one of her earlier roles. Mm, she's done okay. She's doing not bad, eh? It is a really fascinating show because it is kind of similar in tone to Skins, but it has this much more dry humour to it and also this really strange supernatural element. It could be very funny. I didn't see all of it. It went really downhill once the main cast left and then they kind of brought in these new people and it's like, I'm sorry, who are you? Mm-hmm. Really don't care. I, I don't know if they've ever tried to remake that one. They may do. Mm-hmm. So do you think you would put being human into this category or is that more of the, oh my God, how do I adult and also... Be human. <laughs> be human. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that's more of the kind of, I don't know if that's teen focus, that is definitely more of the, you know, post-Avenue Q, what do you do with being English, how do you adult when you actually are an adult situation? Right. Uh, I, I only watch some of it, because I, I like shows about vampires, and that has Aiden Turner as a vampire in it, mm-hmm. which, you know, why not? Why not? Um, so I, I really honestly couldn't tell you much about being human, but it does have vampires in it, and mm-hmm. I like vampires, and I like Aiden Turner. Yeah, mm, don't we all? Well, there is there is an excellent scene where Aiden Turner, the vampire, and the 
werewolf who has a name, I'm sure, <laughs> talk about how women are just too damn emotional. And then they discover that their show that they had expected to be on time was not being aired when they thought it was. And they completely lose their shit. Well, the girl ghost is like, oh, yeah, women are too over emotional. Okay. And Aiden stomps off to go do the washing up. Are you happy now? Well, the werewolf is crying in a corner because his show isn't on. We'll find the clip for that because it's really funny. <laughs> Being Human was an interesting example. It was on BBC Free, which is now technically only a digital channel. You can't actually watch on TV here. Um, where they had a pilot season kind of similar to what Amazon now do. Mm-hmm. Uh, in which shows were going to get picked up. So the original pilot for Being Human didn't have Aidan Turner in it and it didn't have uh, Lenora Crislow, who plays Annie in the show. But it did have Russell Tulvey, who's the werewolf. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this pilot didn't get picked up, but there was enough of a, a drive from people who watched it and really liked it that they actually decided, well, let's commission it. Because it originally the show that they did commission, they then read the scripts for the rest of the season and were like, no... <laughs> no, this isn't going to be any good. Which is a shame, because it sounded really cool. It was going to be uh, an adaptation of a Jamie Hewlett cartoon. He's a guy that did Tank Girl. Mm-hmm. And it was like it was basically like Green Hornet, but with much more um, weird people getting hit in the face. So that didn't happen, sadly. But Being Human lasted five seasons. It did really well here. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I believe there was an attempt at an American reboot that everyone was like, or we could just watch the British one. And yet, the Bean, Wikipedia tells me a Bean Human North American TV series had four seasons of 13 episodes each. Really? What channel? Yeah. Sci-fi. Oh. Well, yeah, it's because no one re- I mean, sci-fi will just sort of air anything until... Yeah. I mean, they spend maybe like five bucks an episode. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, see, in Canada, we had Degrassi which I know I'm supposed to talk about, but I didn't... First of all, <laughs> I didn't realize that Degrassi was a franchise that started in the 70s. Yeah. In specifically. Yeah. Also, by the way, Degrassi Street is in a neighborhood called Riverdale, so how's that for funny? <laughs> um, but yeah, so I didn't know that it started, so it was like a show in the... 79, but so really the 80s, and then the kids went to junior high, which also happened in the 80s. And then you finished with high school. And then you had The Next Generation, which is what I would have like caught on TV, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit off. And that had an actor the, the, called Aubrey Graham that you may have heard of under the name Drake and rapping. He actually raps. I thought he just sort of moped around sadly. You know, it's true. He does he, in, in like Rihanna's videos. Or is it Beyonce? Who's... Whose video did he sit sadly in a chair? Well, that was, that Nicki, was Minaj. Nicki Minaj. That was Nicki Minaj. That's right. But but he's also I think he's with Rihanna or at least was with Rihanna. Oh, he, was wishes with he, was, he wishes he was with Rihanna. I'm not saying he's not a shame fuck for her. I'm just saying he took out a <laughs> billboard. No, literal billboard. Mm. I think after she won something, and they were in videos together and. And he actually had, you know, good reason to to side eye the Grammys for calling um, was it Hotline Bling Bling a rap song when it wasn't? But, yeah, you know, he's black, half 
I don't think I've ever actually heard that song. I've just seen the video for it. (laughs) And, like, people have dubbed over other songs of it on Twitter. (laughs) My favourite part about Hotline Bling is not actually from Hotline Bling. It's from a reviewer called Todd in the Shadows who reviewed it together (laughs) with Adele's Hello. As, like, a side by side. Because they're both songs about, like, calling your exes. And then he was like, you know what? Drake and Adele should date and break up and we would get the best music out of it. Oh, so much more ping. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so Drake was on the Degrassi reboot. And one of the things I think I know best about Degrassi is that American viewers of it were saying how it was, I guess, grittier is the buzzword of the day, than the American shows because it would it, deal, it dealt with things like abortion. Mm-hmm. Whereas an American show would never be able, at least not, you know, back in the oh no, the the it. word abortion being said on TV is a very recent thing. I mean, even shows like this isn't a teen show, but um, Grey's Anatomy when they had a character who was planning to have an abortion, and then they had the pregnancy become an ectopic pregnancy because they didn't want her to have a baby, but they also couldn't actually go through with her having an abortion. Yeah. So they redid the storyline ten seasons later. Yeah. Oh, how many? Even yeah, fucking sorry. girls did that. You know, the great feminist hope of our television age. The pilot episode of that is one of their friends went to get an abortion. And then, she, oh, she has her period. She doesn't need to get an abortion, guys. Yeah. Ugh, yeah. I hate that trend. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Scandal. Not only said the word abortion, but had a character getting one on screen. But I was thinking that currently, the past couple of years, I think television has actually improved on that front. Because not only did you have that uh, crazy ex-girlfriend, the character gets an abortion, and it's just handled very matter-of-fact. Mm-hmm. One of the characters gets it, and at the end of the show, her son's at the door, uh, uh, shouts up the room and says, Mom, there's someone at the door, but because you've just had an abortion, I'll get it for you. <laughs> <laughs> and Thanks, then that's it. Um, on, even on BoJack Horseman. Uh, the, there's an episode about the character getting an abortion and it's not, there's no arguments or anything both her and her husband are like, yep, this is what we want to do, they get it and she feels fine. Yeah. Although then there is another character who kind of gets an abortion and she writes a song called Find That Fetus, Kill That Fetus and then she does a sexy dance to it. You should all watch Bojack Horseman, it's amazing. But yeah, even on, um, like, I think Scandals is just a really great example of that. Because even, for, I haven't watched the show in years, because, oh my god, that's too much crazy to keep up with. So much. Um, so much crazy. Um, just, But actually, I did see that scene. Mm-hmm. And you don't often actually see it happening. It's not like we're seeing it, you know, the actual thing happening, but you see her in the, you know, in the stirrups, in the, yeah. the room where it happens. That's a terrible <laughs> reference to use. <laughs> <laughs> I, Skins did definitely talk about abortion, but it was never that even for a show that was very frank, that still seemed like kind of a limit. And this is in a country where there's nowhere near the same level of politicizing of the issue. Mm-hmm. Like, you can, you know, get an abortion in this country. You still have to get two separate doctors to sign off on it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, which is still too much. But you can get it. So, I don't I know. I think this is just, that's maybe, a, a, this is because it's such a big thing in America when it shouldn't be a thing, but that's a totally different issue. Separate issue, whole other. Mm. <sighs> hey, does anyone mm. remember when Clueless was a TV series? No, it was. Did you guys not watch Lifely. the Clueless TV series? I did, um, but Stacey Dash is so annoying. 
And this was even before Stacey Dash became Stacey Dash. Mm. It was actually a sitcom, which I didn't. I could have sworn it was a drama, but apparently it was a sitcom. And but Stacey Dash reprised, and Elisa Donovan, the the actor played Amber, reprised. Yep. Their this role. show lasted three years. Yeah. Yeah. And has no, no. Um, the dude from Scrubs was in the original movie. He did not come back for this series. I think he did. Did he? Murray, right? Yeah. Donald Faison? Oh, maybe he did. He did. No, no, he definitely did. Money's nice. Everybody needs money. It (laughs) it wasn't very good. It was a pale imitation. Yeah. I did briefly watch like an episode or two of the ABC Family version of Ten Things I Hate About You. It just mm. wasn't the same. It's not the same. Oh. Best Shakespeare ad- adaptation ever, or best Shakespeare adaptation ever? Certainly the best modern day Shakespeare adaptation. Mm. Ah, I love that film. <laughs> I will say, like the perfect representation of like, or like my ideal representation of adolescence was just Julia Stiles in that movie. Yes. Or Daria, who was my real hero. <laughs> No, like, we didn't... Daria was already finished by the time I started watching it. You know, it was something that was repeated on one of the MTV channels around half four in the afternoon, which was by the time I walked home. Mm-hmm. So if I kind of hurried quick enough, me and Daryl could watch it. My, my Daryl's my sister. And that was just the exact show of what I wanted... The attitude I wanted to have for adolescence, which I didn't really get until I was about 17 or 18, just the idea that you didn't have to give a fuck about what other people think. Mm-hmm. Which was a huge like, thing that I wanted desperately. And I kind of got by the end, but it took a while. Um, by which point in time, I was already a broken shell of a human being. But I, I will say, I've watched a lot of Daria recently, and it really, it actually holds up really well. And it's a fascinating show to watch when you're older, because you can kind of appreciate certain elements of it in a different way. Mm-hmm. Like when when you watch that show as a teen, you just think Daria is the coolest person ever, and the way that she doesn't care, and how that barrier has worked for her. And then you watch it when you're older, and you actually see and understand the consequences of choosing to shut yourself off in that manner, and how other people have to deal with it, and how it doesn't yeah. always work for her. So you have to see how her parents have to deal with it, how mm-hmm. the people she loves are sometimes really ostracized because of that, and the attitudes that people sort of shove on her because of that. The way that, that she, um, the image that she projects, which I find is really sophisticated for a show that is basically a spin-off of Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, I, yeah. I will say the final season of that show I was always a little bit iffy on, mainly because I didn't like Tom, who is Dara's boyfriend, mm-hmm. who just seemed like way too smart to be a a, a proper seventeen-year-old. And I always liked the idea of Dara having a file. I just hated that it was him. Because mm. he always seemed to be right, and it's just you can't have the whole show about the really interesting, abrasive female character where the the season is basically well, the guy is right about everything. Yeah, and also that that relationship came about because it was her her best friend's boyfriend, and they cheated. Which come on, that that still stings. <laughs> <laughs> let, let me ask you this: as you are definitely the the biggest Daria fan of the three of us, would you like to see a live action drama based on Daria? No. Oh, no, I think, the show is as, I think the show is just as great as it is, and it's, it still feels very fresh in the way that it approaches things like speaking up to a 4A in, in school and 
having to nav- navigate this very specific ecosystem of high school and do it while retaining your 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 own essence, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. It's still very funny. It's it's much fader to its ensemble than I think it gets credit for. Like the growth that you get with someone like Brittany, who's kind of the the bubble-headed cheerleader, but she's actually much savvier and given more credit than that for it, theory. Her boyfriend isn't, but that's just because men suck. Mm-hmm. I would like to see it released with all the music in place, but they had <laughs> incredible uh, amount of money that they couldn't spend on the licensing for the DVDs. So there's just filler music, which sucks because it always had it always had great music. I think if you just you know go watch it again, I think they should just leave that as it is. But it's clearly, I think it is a thing that other generations will come to, mm-hmm. probably because they'll see gift sets on Tumblr or they'll see, you know, it is now. This is another show that celebrated its twentieth anniversary. Oh wow! This, this month. Wow. So people old. will come to it that way. Yeah. Um, I know that Beavis and Butthead, Butthead came back. I never cared about that show. Nope. So. So if you haven't seen Daria, give it a shot. It's inc- it's still really sharp satire. It the jokes still land. It has this wonderful lead character that you didn't really see a lot of, even in the nineties when this kind of the the, the grunge era surly yeah. teen was in. She's not grunge. She doesn't give a fuck about grunge. Uh, she's just someone who doesn't understand why people won't get out of her way, which I appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> that's me. That's my life. We we gotta help you cultivate a resting murder face. It really helps for people getting out of your way. <laughs> it also has it's also an example of um the show had two like um, film length episodes. One's called Is It Fall Yet? and it's set between fourth and fifth season. And then there's Is It College Yet, which is set after the final season and it's kind of the, the way that the show is wrapped up. Mm-hmm. And for me it's one of the best examples of having the full growth of a character going from high school to college and understanding what she wants in life and how the things that you do really care about, like having a boyfriend, um, probably don't mean much in the ultimate scheme of things and you'll be sad for a while, but you'll get over it and you'll live the life that you want to. Mm It's really inspiring. And of course, her her final speech where she says there's nothing in the world that can't be solved with pizza, which is very true. That's true. That's definitely true. So guess what just had its complete serious finale two days ago, as of recording of this episode? Vampire Diaries. Oh, right. That show is still on. I like Vampires. I never watched it. I watched the first few seasons of it, and, I mean, despite the supernatural band, I definitely think it's in the teen drama. You can put it in the teen drama category. Like, it's Gossip Girl with Vampires. Yeah, Definitely. And I mean, partly I say that because it's also based on a series of books. By the way, didn't that series of books have a small scandal a couple of years ago where its writer got fired? Because it was one of those, the writer was hired. It was a packaged book series where basically she was brought in with this idea. We want to write a series about vampires and love triangles and such. Will you do that? Here's your contract. And then I believe she wanted to take the series in a different route. And they didn't like that. So they basically kept her name on the cover. um, And then... You know, basically, and then had other people come in and write them, which was obvious, which obviously sucked for her. Uh, but I know that she's now writing more based on the uh, Kindle Words series, like it's official fan fiction. But she's just decided to step in and finish it the way she wanted to, which is pretty badass. Sure. But yeah, the show has lasted eight eight seasons, and yeah, on March tenth, apparently had its series finale. 
Haven't, like, all the leads left at this point? I believe uh, that... That, that would involve me paying attention to that show. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know that Nina Dobrev left conveniently around the time that her co-star slash former boyfriend Ian Summerholder got married to Rosalie from Twilight. <laughs> very, very quickly after she'd broken up with him, apparently. That's none of my business. But I believe she did come back for the, the series finale. Hmm. But, like, they're all clearly now, like, in their late 20s, early 30s, and are clearly a little too old to be playing the ageless vampires. Did you say early 30s? Because Ian Somerhalder is 38. He's 38? To be fair, he wasn't a... I think he was play Like, he was meant to be older than the teenage... Like, the older brother kind of generation for them. But, like, Paul Wesley, who was the younger brother, is 34. Nina Dobrev is 28. So she, yeah, she was 20 playing 16 when the show started. But even Summerhelder was already 30 when the show started. Like, that's... I'm just saying, on his Wikipedia page, the picture is of him wearing a fedora. <laughs> he was such a dick and lost. The actor or the character? The character. I don't know yeah. him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know how you can always tell when someone's written their own Wikipedia page? Mm. <laughs> now, I, I, I like vampires and I never watched this show I know it has a spin-off and I know they're talking about doing another spin-off yeah so to bring it back to Rain like we always do alright I always do I don't feel bad about it I've been working my way I'm about halfway through season 3 now and it's actually been really interesting how they're weaving in actual history with all of this teen drama bullshit. <laughs> with the occasional foray into a, hey, there's a serial killer loose in the palace in France. As one does. But, like, Francis, King Francis of France died the way he was supposed to. We're deep into a subplot about Elizabeth I refusing to name publicly who she wants to succeed her assuming she doesn't get married and have her own heir which was true she was very cagey about the whole thing her entire life um, up until it was she was old and then even then she didn't say anything to James VI of Scotland who was her cousin of some number and removes and Mary Queen of Scots son she had good reason. I mean, she spent her, her sister's reign being kind of the figurehead for a lot of rebellion. Right. So that's what she Oh, yeah. Did. No, she totally had... She totally... I'm not saying she didn't have good reason. Mm. But they're doing that in the show, too, where she's like, no, if I name my heir, then that person becomes a rally point for people who don't like me. So I'm not going to do it. And you're all just going to have to, you know, wait anxiously until I die. <laughs> she was very good yourself. at making people wait anxiously for things. Yeah. So there's there's all sorts of utter and absolute ridiculousness going on and ahistoricness. It's interesting that the costumes are sidling slightly towards somewhat more period-ish silhouettes and less off the rack at Forever 21 <laughs> and the limited <laughs> occasionally. And then they'll go back and they're like, look... Mary's actually wearing sort of the right silhouette, kind of, if you don't think about it. And then they go back. It's like, if if you Google image the show, there's so many bare arms. So many bare arms and so many bare heads. 
Yeah, and tear all the way down. Like, no. Yeah, yeah. Megan Fellows is having the best time playing Catherine de' Medici. She's just having the best time. (laughs) And so, like, people's fates are sort of ending where they're supposed to. There's just a bunch of random bullshit that happens before they die. So that's been fun. They just started the fourth season, which will be the last season. Uh, Whether it ends with Mary getting beheaded or not is still an open question. Well, look, she languished being imprisoned by Elizabeth for, what, 15 years? No, more. Many years. Like, like, it was a long time, right? Like, she's your queen, don't you know? Uh, so she escaped and went to England thinking Elizabeth would help in 68. She was executed uh 87. Wow. Yeah, like like I said, like it, it was a long time that she was just kind of in various castles. Mhm. So I don't like you can't really make 10 seasons out of her being imprisoned by like so I'm going to guess it's like she escapes and then we have like a flash forward. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about the show. Or I have no. Oh, we'll see. We'll see. It's been fun though. Is most of the show set when she's in France? So far, it she is in France. They keep sort of going back and forth between. I'm acquiring an army so I can go retake Scotland from the damn Protestants. I have lost my chance at that army. I mean, they don't. I, I think they don't want to fire Megan Fellows because she's like one of the best things in the show. But I do know that I think towards the end of season three, they do introduce the character of her second, third husband. Darnley? or her... Yeah. The one that was the father of James. Of the... James, yeah. And that she possibly murdered, or had murdered, or whatever. She possibly murdered him, maybe. They should do that in the show. He was murdered. He was murdered. (laughs) We don't know by who. (laughs) Kaylee, do you know? No? Okay. I don't think, because, see, (laughs) I'm looking at the show's Wikipedia page, and it's like, and and the the King of France's, like, bastard half-brother Sebastian called Bash, because that's a thing that would happen. It's definitely a thing that would happen, yeah. Yeah, played by Terrence Coombs, who was a creepy asshole in the Tudors. And oh, was he, was he the one creeping on the the, the Catherine Howard. Catherine Howard? Yeah. Yeah, him along with uh, oh from Downton Abbey, Irish dude. Oh was, yeah, the the uh, yeah in Rome, like who was in Rome? Yeah, yeah, him. Alan? That dude isn't... Oh, Anna Popolol is in this. Yeah, she was. She was. She's what playing... To you after who, in history, was one of Mary's four wait- ladies-in-waiting, all named Mary. <laughs> but the show's like, we cannot have too many Marys. That is ridiculous. Because in Tudor British times, there were like five names. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. You were Catherine, Mary, or Elizabeth. Or possibly an Anne, if you were really daring. And if you were from, like, Spain, you might have been Isabella, but really that's just Elizabeth. 
Yeah, but probably yeah, so. but probably not. So yes, rain is ridiculous. Good fun. If you just sort of accept it and go with it and turn off your history judging brain, which I know some people can't do, but you know, I watched the tutors and enjoyed it, so clearly I can. Here's the one I didn't watch, but I'm gonna guess possibly is the actual chronologically speaking successor to Gossip Girl, and that's Pretty Little Liars. Yeah. It's not a CW show. Yeah, that was ABC Family slash Freeform, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, apparently it's ending this year. Okay. And also based on a series of books. And like I said, like I think at that point, I just maybe was getting a little too old for it. Just didn't get, you know. Mm. I tried watching it and I don't remember why I just sort of gave up on it. Well, I guess it wasn't as... Because as... a show can be kind of bad or crazy, but it has to be watchable. Yeah, it has to be engrossing. And it's clearly engrossing for some people. It was just not engrossing for me. Mm-hmm. But it does have Piper Hallowell from Charmed. Holly Marie Combs? That's the one. Yeah, she plays one of the moms, I think. Oh, Charmed. Not a teen drama, so it doesn't count for this episode. Not a teen drama. We should do an episode on, like, the the supernatural shows. Yeah, so for those, uh, I know listeners, if anybody has watched Pretty Little Liars, let us know if if that's a... Do do you feel like it was a worthy successor to Gossip Girl? It's, It's funny to hold up Gossip Girl as kind of a paragon of the genre, because, again, like, for many of its seasons, it wasn't really a good show. No... No, but it was really buzzy. It was a show that a lot of people talked about, even though, frankly, like a lot of CW shows, not a lot of people were watching it. Mm-hmm. Like, there was a period where you couldn't get away from hearing about Blake freaking lively. He's <laughs> suddenly a thing now again. Yeah. Well, the goss- I always felt like Gossip Girl could have stayed good if instead of trying to awkwardly do the college years and then completely giving up and just having them all drop out. Yeah. They could have just did like a five year time skip. Mm-hmm. And this would have let them do like some sort of mystery that they could, you know, happen in the five years that we could figure out or something. Like right. it would have been a shake up. Like it's that's that's the problem with teen dramas is that what eventually they all teen... go to college. Yeah. <laughs> then... What happens when they age? Yeah. And that usually ends badly because like, you have to find some plausible way for them to all show up at the same university, or you have to lose characters. Mm-hmm. So, if you're doing Supernatural, you can kind of avoid it, because, like, the vampires can do whatever. Mm-hmm. They can just stay in high school forever. Yeah. And ever. And ever. For some reason. Actually, kind of briefly going to mention this, because I guess it may kind of fit... The 100. Mm. It's because there's... And I think here's an interesting thing. I watched like a uh, season and a half of it. Like Riverdale, which, by the way, uh, going back a bit, it's very convenient because Netflix has first broadcast rights outside of the US. So if you live in a country that has Netflix, you get to watch it the week it comes out. And in Canada, it, uh, it has the same deal for The 100. And that's another show that's based on the series of books, but it, it's 
I think it, you can see that it's kind of a teen drama, but also kind of not because it's a sci-fi show set in a world where essentially they don't have, there's no high school, they're mm-hmm. post-apocalyptic wasteland. And I feel like without that, it loses some of that teen drama structure because even though a lot of the core group of characters are meant to be like 18, 17-ish, 18-ish years old, mm-hmm. at least in the first season, right? 16 to 18 it's so seamless to introduce all the adults into the main storylines and all the secondary characters. And, they're, and the problems they deal with are kind of not really of the of the coming of age, well, not the same kind of coming of age mold. Right. That it's kind of interesting in, um, where in some ways it's teen drama just by virtue of how old they're supposed to be, but not because it's the world just doesn't function the same way. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's quite a common a common metaphor that you see in a lot of dramas aimed at teenagers you know you don't have to actually show the real life struggles of adolescence but if you you know put it through a different lens you know to change a genre or change a setting or something i mean why why do you think that dystopian novels for a while were completely inescapable in young adult fiction mm-hmm. yeah and why do you think that that trend has now died off partly because we're living in a wasteland now but you know, right yeah. in terms Those of books peace, were it's training to imagine... that wasteland but yeah, yeah. <laughs> In times of peace, it is fun to, you know, if you are from the privileged sector, it is fun to imagine yourself as the the hero of that, you know? Right. Which I think is interesting now, because the biggest book in YA right now is The Hate You Give, which is, it's being billed as the Black Lives Matter YA. It's mm-hmm. about more than that. I hear it's incredible. I haven't read it yet because it doesn't come out in the UK. But I, I think it is interesting that that is currently the big book. Yeah, you know, after years of Hunger Games and Twilight and that terrible fucking Veronica Roth book, we won't talk about. This is the you know, this is where teenagers are now putting their focus. Mm-hmm. They really want a a way to kind of parse what's going on around them. Yeah, you know, this is the Teen Vogue generation, so mm-hmm. which is great, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it took I'm me until I was that book my... and everything around it. So, has she sold the movie rights yet? Yeah, I believe someone bought them pretty much the moment the book was snatched up for publication. Excellent. Right. Well, I think that... I, I hope we've uh, maybe turned some viewers on to Riverdale, the ones that weren't sure they wanted to watch it. but Watch it. Watch it. Yeah. It's fun. Can we, can we go back to last month and just talk very, very briefly about the end of the Oscars? <laughs> what oh, the God! Fuck? <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So, so set up. I was on the um, I was on the Oscars duty for Screen Rant where I work, and I had been given the job of writing the Why X won Best Picture article. Uh huh. It would have been really foolish of me to have completely pre-written the thing before the awards came out, right? <laughs> well, you you could have written two speeches. <laughs> yeah, but I was so arrogantly convinced that Lala was going to win, as was everyone else. In fairness, it wasn't just me. Yeah. So I had it written, mm-hmm. and the La La Land people were giving up, coming up, giving their speech, and I was getting ready to put up images and stuff. I was like putting, getting ready to put it on the site, basically. Yeah. And then I heard someone say, "No, no, 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 no La La Land, like you guys want," and I just looked up and went, "What? What? Uh, <laughs> Warren, what the fuck did you do?" <laughs> <laughs> Which not Warren's fault. It wasn't Warren's fault. I do love full Faye Dunaway got the fuck out there. <laughs> oh yeah, she's like, "No, I'm not talking to the press. I'm out." I'm done. A uh, poor word. I do feel so bad that he seems to be taking the hit, yeah. and he wasn't even the one who. Yeah, 
Honestly, I think now it's calmed down. I don't think people are blaming him. I think it was just a case of a silly mix-up that probably could have happened if those two accountants were, you know, not, you know, if they were doing their actual jobs, it may not have happened. Mm. So what the reports be, are now, they were... Let's, really be, let's be more fair and more specific. If the dude accountant hadn't been tweeting, yeah. he might have well, been paying attention. Well, she was... Um, Apparently, when they were all on stage giving their speech, the two of them had the actual envelope and were like being told go out there and sort it out, and they wouldn't go out onto the stage. So you know, I understand why they have now been relieved of the cushiest job in accounting, guys. Kidding. There are no other occasions where you'll get to dress up like that, except if you're running some sort of drug ring. Yeah. <clears throat> but it was so fascinating to watch. But it was, I mean. I think it was unprecedented. It, it so, was like, almost. It, they had one I, um, back in the happened 60s. in the sixties, but the presenter noticed that the envelope was wrong. Yeah. Where in this case, you could kind of see where Warren Beatty knew that something was off, but he wasn't sure what he was supposed to like. It do looked about like he it. was joking around as well. Yeah. To us. Well, Faye Dunaway say, "Stop it! You're terrible." But he showed it to her like he wanted her confirmation. Like this isn't right. the right she thing. She just was it? like, "You're clearly fucking around," and read the movie title she title. saw. Yeah. Um, and actually, if you look at the layouts of the envelope, like th- those are ones that could go through another lesson in typography. Because oh yeah, definitely. Oh yeah. By the way, the funniest tweet of the night though was I think this was one of the newspaper editors. Uh, Washington Post, I think. I don't remember which newspaper, but the editor, the uh, the entertainment editor, tweeted, "I finally, in all of my career, I've been waiting for this moment. I got to send an email that says stop the presses." <laughs> That's Aww. amazing. Yay! Because print newspapers, they actually do have both copies written and on the front, right? Like that's yeah. the front page they're gonna run. So the moment they announced, they started printing the morning edition. <laughs> This is going to be one of those, for for those who care about entertainment, like, where were you? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I think um, Pop Culture Happy Hour, they, they recorded their post-Oscar episode at, like, 3 in the morning. And I, I want to say it was Glenn Weldon who was like, no, this is going to be, like, our challenger moment. Yeah. <laughs> I actually kept re- I, I kept rewinding it to watch it again because I was just like, there's so much going Me on here too. I need to dissect. Yeah. The audience reactions alone. <laughs> the the rock with his eyebrow and inquisitor. They, yeah, they I, announced uh, La La Land and I kind of, I still had the TV on, but I stopped listening. And when uh, the producer came back and said, uh, Moonlight won, by the way, I thought he was doing the, the, the they thing. were the more deserving yeah. movie. I started right. rolling my eyes at him and went to turn the TV off. And then they were like, no, guys, and I was like, what? Right. Well, I was sort of listening with half an ear. And there was the third producer who, like, if you if you watch the Zepruder film of this, you see him. And Slate has a very excellent breakdown on everything that happened in those three minutes. Um, but the... The first producer, Jordan Horowitz, gives his speech. Then there's the older one who goes. And that's when the hubbub behind him is starting. And they're going, wait, what? And you see Emma Stone going, oh, my God. (laughs) Which is hilarious. And she's, like, clutching her Oscar. Like, they're not going to take this away from me, are they? (laughs) But you can also see Ryan Gosling trying not to laugh. Right. And the third producer 
has heard and then somebody who i think the second one is like hey dude it's your turn you go and he's like no 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 fine and thanks his mom and then is like oh and we lost by the way and apparently that was a case of uh, apparently they said that they weren't entirely sure what was going on, but they didn't want to leave dead air. So he thought, well, I might as well give my speech, even if I have to give this thing back. <laughs> um, Which, that, I mean, I, obviously I'm delighted at Moonlight 1, but man, that is cold, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've, you know, you've worked your whole life, your whole career for this incredible moment that's going to make your life. It's going to cement your name. And yeah, uh, I've got to hold this for like two minutes now and I have to hand it over again. Right. Right. And... He goes, oh, we lost, by the way. And I looked up and was like, wait, what? At, at which point, Twitter starts exploding with the, what? What? What the fuck? Oh, my God. What is happening right now? And then Horowitz is like, you are all taking too long. Give me that. Let me, like, yes, I do understand the, you know, it would have been nice if Moonlight had gotten the the proper announcement. Like, they were clearly trying to line up. But I think Horowitz was just like, no, let's just unfuck this immediately. There's a producer who is tired of having to wait around for things. He cannot be bothered with this, so he has to <laughs> do it himself. <laughs> like, the way he snatched that card out of Warren Bates' right. hand, which was slightly cruel, but he was also just like, no, let's do this. Let's, let's do this. Let's make it clear that nobody is fucking around. Like, here, here, is, here is the hard proof. Here you go. Here's- I think, obviously, I, I do blame kind of the, the mix-up. I suppose if there's blame, it's on the um, on the accountants, both for the mix-up, but also for, yeah, the fact that they didn't want to go out there and be like, I mean, it's your responsibility. Go on and take it. Right. But there, I also, there's a protocol for this. Yeah. Secondarily to that, I feel like Jimmy Kimmel should have been, like, instead of Jordan having to, like, come yeah, up to the Jimmy, mic. Why Jimmy he- was fucking around. <sighs> like, Warren, what did you do? No, you go up there and uh, can say... Can you keep it? Why don't you just keep it? Why don't we all keep it? I'm just like, man, you're really bad at this improv thing for a comedian. Uh-huh. I can't believe I was glad that you weren't Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> it was kind of a clusterfuck, but I think it certainly is, in many ways, very representative of, of Moonlight even getting as far as it did. Mm-hmm. I mean, this time last year, like, right now, there are already posts going up for 2018 Oscars. Yeah. Like, who are the players and stuff. If you look at those posts from this time last year, Moonlight isn't mentioned in any of them. Mm-hmm. Moonlight was never going to be considered a winner, even up until the night. You know, it was the La La Land wagon. Right. For the film to even get as far as it did, and for a $1 million budgeted indie written and directed by black men about the experience of being black and gay and poor in America with an exclusively black cast for that to win. Mm-hmm. Is monumental, and this may signal a major change in how the Academy approaches stuff. Because after Oscar So White happened, uh, Cheryl Boone Isaacs announced, "Okay, we're going to be bringing in a lot more members. We're going to try and double our people of color and women membership by 2020." Which you know seems like a major task, but if you look at the numbers, it really shouldn't take that much. And they introduced, I think, about 700 new members. Something like last that, yeah. year. Half of them are, like, the, the numbers was about 48% or of them are women, about 46% of them are people of colour. Mm-hmm. And clearly that has made something of a change. If you look at the winners across the board in that aspect. I mean, we thought La La Land was going to win everything. It didn't come close to a sweep. No. 
it still won more awards than any other film, but it was actually surprisingly well spread out. No, like I saw Ridge to... annoyingly yeah. won way more awards than it should have. On, I will say, in fairness, the guy that won thing for sound editing for Hacksaw Ridge had been nominated twenty times before mm-hmm. and never won, and he finally won. So I'm sad that it meant I had to keep seeing Mel Gibson on my screen. Did you know that was his daughter? Not his daughter, his girlfriend. Yeah, I did know that. Isn't she pregnant? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's like younger than me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, that's the bleakest episode of the Twilight Zone I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Mm. Also, he is super, super orange. I wonder what inspired that tan <laughs> job. I'm just asking questions. I was having lunch with my grandmother on Friday. And she says, hey, that film about the conscientious objector seems really interesting. Do you want to go see it? And I was like, nope. I do not. <laughs> it's nice that Mel Gibson has been forgiven by doing absolutely nothing, though. Mm. Oh, and also Casey Affleck won. But Brie Larson was having none of it. Yeah. That one really upset me. And I kind of feel like dense, like we really had a chance not to have that happen. But yeah. We did. We did. But the thing that got me was everyone's reaction in that room other than like Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and Kenneth fucking Lonergan who really exposed his jackassery this week they kept cut you know they cut to Denzel who was not having it no it's clearly I mean he he applauded politely at the announcement and then Casey was like I want to be you when I grow up and Denzel was like you cannot (laughs) to to quote fences there's nothing to say I have to like you (laughs) but then it was things like you know I, I'm going, you know, Chrissy Teigen says that she was just napping because she was tired. Like, like no. <laughs> she knew what she was doing. Brie Larson very, you know, categorically did not applaud for him. Mm-hmm. Did you notice he went in for the hug as well? Yep. Like, knowing that she wouldn't be able to pull away. Yeah. ball. They also had a moment where they cut to, I think it was Alicia Vikander, and she just had the most pained look on her face. Like, that woman is dating Michael Fassbender, and she thinks you're a dick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, I mean, I'm really sad. Like, at any other year, if that kind of performance winning, I would be really happy for because you don't tend to see, you know, very quiet, subtle performances get their due. But why him? Yeah. I mean, his PR campaign very clearly worked. Mm-hmm. Like, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and Amazon threw everything into that campaign to make him into this, like, you know... Like, they kept painting him as, like, the underdog. It's like, dude, you're Ben Affleck's brother. The word yeah. underdog does not apply to you? Nope. Oh, also, he didn't thank his kids, which, you know, is the least <laughs> of his problems, but still, fuck you. <laughs> so. Yeah. But there were, you know, there were other great wins. Marshall Ali won. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Viola Davis won. Yep. I, I note that they did not even attempt to play her off. Yeah. Oh, no, they knew it was, you know. They, they knew that was not going to end well for them, so. <laughs> And uh, Barry Jenkins and Moonlight won for screenplay. Adapted mm-hmm. screenplay, yeah. And Lynn Manuel Miranda did not. Pigot. Mac Pigot. I know he'll have other chances, but God, City of Stars is such a boring song. It's so boring. Like, not even John Legend could make that song sound less. No, dull. I mean. I mean, he made it sound way better, and I certainly thought that the audition song, his version of the audition song was really good, but the song is so boring. I mean, we've talked a bit before about what we think of La La Land, but if that film 
had it had starred its original stars, Emma Stone and Miles Teller, do you think it would have been the, the darling uh, of the season? Not a chance. Not a chance. Ryan Gosling brings a lot of charisma. And Miles Teller is just kind of, you know, a weird-looking kid. Potato face. Mm. But he's not even, like, a, a charming potato, like Char- Channing Tatum. Also, Aliti Cravalho's performance was beautiful, and even getting knocked on the head by a sail didn't stop her. Right. <laughs> I, I like Lynn Manuel's little intro rap. Yeah. There. That was fun. Well, okay, I, I'm going to wrap us off. Wrap us, wrap us up on the tangent, but uh, on a different tangent, slightly mention Logan is pretty much as good as people say. Yes. It is, yes. It is basically it's Hell or High Water meets Children of Men, with aging um, superhero struck by ennui meets massive political commentary on immigration. Yep, and it's Daphne awesome. Keen. Daphne <laughs> Keen is amazing. She, oh Daphne my goodness. Keen, is a gift, and they they should be so grateful they found her because they had. Oh, yeah. I I saw a very interesting interview. Uh, interview I was up on YouTube with uh, Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart, and they were saying how you know child actors sometimes you go through hundreds of thousands of auditions, but we had such specific requirements, you know, biracial, bilingual, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and then there's physical requirements of the role and all that. So they didn't actually get that as many auditions, but they they really needed to hit that one, and they did with her. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, this is not a movie you go to if you need a happy distraction, because I saw it on like Saturday, uh, no, on Thursday night, and all of Friday, I essentially spent being sad and trying not to cry and thinking about Patrick Stewart. <laughs> also, you get to see Patrick Stewart say fuck a lot. Yeah. It yeah. is R-rated. It is R-rated. Oh, it is R-rated. <laughs> it's very R-rated. It, I, I definitely thought that taking... Like, being realistic about what Wolverine's fighting style would do to a person mm-hmm. was something to behold. It should be said that of all the Wolverine movies, this is the first one where uh, Hugh Jackman and the director, Mangold? J- Jason Mangold? Uh, Jason Mangold. Yeah. yeah. Weren't given a script and told to make it. This is the one where Hugh Jackman said he came up with the idea. Mm-hmm. And then they wrote the script, and then they uh, took whatever elements of Old Man Logan. It was funny, because we were talking about how, well, is it an adaptation? But it wasn't. Apparently what happened was Hugh Jackman had this idea of, like, the old Agent Wolverine. Mm-hmm. He was inspired by, apparently, the same movie that actually inspired Frank Miller and Old Man Logan. But after they found that there was already a comic book written kind of about that idea, they looked at it, they took kind of the beginning bits that worked, the end that worked, and then kind of said, well, fuck off with that middle which was the, very smart. yeah the middle which we can't do because of licensing and which no one wants us to do because it's dumb yeah I, I was one of those things where i was reading the synopsis of what happens in the comics and going who the fuck are- oh mark miller okay yeah, of course. yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah exactly yeah. if you know anyone who has ever lived with a degenerative brain condition or mm-hmm. brain damage of any kind logan will be it, it will hit close to home yes it was so yeah. hard because, like, my grandparents have dementia, and just seeing some of the struggles of, you know, Professor Xavier is, like, 90-something years old in this and, and does have some sort of brain damage, like, it, it really was hard to watch. Mm-hmm. It is beautifully acted. Like, Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart have always been good in their roles, even when they haven't been given much to work with. Mm-hmm. But when they've actually got some sort of meat to chew on, it is just stunning to see what they do. 
And Daphne Keene is obviously brilliant. I mean, I think Fox will be watching this, and I know that Hugh Jackman said this is his last time as Wolverine, but you know that they're watching that and be like, like, if we add how many more zeros to the end of this, will you do another one? Hmm. Like, they're going to pay so much money to keep James Mangold on the payroll as well. Yeah. This is such a good swan song for a character. Oh, yeah. Yeah. To the point where Patrick Stewart said he didn't plan for this to be the last one, but the first time he watched the movie, he was like, I think it should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was also, I think it was on Conan, and Patrick was talking about the first time he saw the movie was at the Berlin Film Festival, and we get to like the last five minutes of the movie and he realizes that he was clutching his hand with tears streaming down his face and he was like oh fuck if Hugh Jackman can cry this movie so can I I I really hope that Hugh Jackman gets like major dramatic roles in this he's always been good at that but you know I think he's been so trapped in that role that they haven't had much else to do for him oh hi mom so I've got macaroni now oh well well, speaking of dinner, I think we can go and let our listeners go. Because we record before breakfast and a shoe launch for you, listeners. Ooh. Okay, what? well, I record before breakfast. I was going <laughs> to say, no, I get up and I have my coffee and some breakfast before I record. Because if you want me coherent, you want me caffeinated. See, I have my tea, but there's no food in the house right now, so. Okay, well. Every time that. we record this, you say there's no food in the house. And you use yeah, it as an excuse you, to get Korean you food. you actually <laughs> keep anything in your refrigerator at all? Occasionally. Uh-huh. Uh, don't you well, see. we're having a major blizzard on Tuesday, so... We are, I was going to ask, because we are too, so... All right. Well, we will, we'll talk about this offline, so we don't need to bore <laughs> listeners with our weather. <laughs> we'll be back at you next month with some topic to discuss... At length, as we do. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Anglofees, a Made a Fail production. You can reach us on Twitter at Anglofees. You can send an email to anglofees at gmail.com. If you enjoy the show, please leave a five-star rating and a review on iTunes to help other people find the show. Thank you.